Hey, this is Maverick Messages. Thank you for coming back for part two. I'm Chandler, and I'm here at Providence Baptist College. Please listen closely to Brother Aswardi as he teaches more about Baptist history and what it means to be a Baptist. All right, John the Baptist. He was defined by what he did and what he believed. So what did he do? Now, here's a sculpture of John the Baptist at the Notre Dame Cathedral. That is very clever. That is a very clever sculpture. You notice his head is being held in his hands because it's not on his shoulders. And the two people next to him look kind of sad. I don't know. All right, there's John the Baptist. What did... He do. Well, one thing he did was he preached repentance. Do Baptists preach repentance? Yes, we do. That's a great thing to do. John the Baptist was great, and he preached repentance, so it's great to be a Baptist. Preaching repentance is a great thing that Baptists do. Repentance means turn from your sins and turn to God. We believe in doing that. Yes, we do. What else did he do? He baptized people who believed. Do we do that? That's a very Baptist thing to do. He had people come to him and say, we want to be baptized. And he said, no, I'm not going to baptize you because you're a bunch of snakes and vipers and your works are obviously those of unsaved people. So when you can come back and show fruits worthy of repentance, I'll baptize you. So he baptized only people who believed. Did he baptize any babies? No. No. All right, baptism. His baptism was immersion. There is no other kind of baptism. Baptism literally means, it's a Greek word, baptizo, which literally means immerse or to dunk all the way under. So it's kind of redundant, but some people don't get the obvious simplicity of baptism is immersion, so sometimes we just got to say it. What else did John the Baptist do? This is a very Baptist thing to do. He pointed people to Jesus. Amen. That's a good Baptist thing to do. Do we do that? We should. For good Baptists, if we do that, we could be great Baptists. These are things that John did that helped him to get his Baptist name. What else did he do? He preached against sin and he named it. He told the king. You have stolen your brother's wife, and that is wrong. You shouldn't do that. And he named the sin. Because of that, he was persecuted. That's a very Baptist thing, being persecuted. If you're going to be a Baptist, you should always expect the time will come when you might be persecuted. So just get that in your mind if you want to be a Baptist. Often that comes with persecution. But that's a great thing. And John was persecuted. Something else about John. Sometimes he doubted. After he went to prison, he sent his disciples to Jesus and said, I want you to ask Jesus if he really is who he says he is. That's a pretty serious lapse of faith. That's a pretty serious doubt. You're in Bible college or something in the, or in the ministry and you're thinking, I wonder if Jesus is really real. Baptists sometimes doubt. I've told the story here before about the time that I was in Russia. Been there for several years, and I was handing out tracts uh, in an upper-class neighborhood. 
and I was putting tracks in the mailboxes, which was legal over there, and spent about a half a day over there, and towards the end of the day, this guy pulls up in a Mercedes, and he pulls his window down. Window goes down. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm giving the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people in this neighborhood, and I want to give it to you. He said, that's stupid. You think I need some invisible friend up in the sky. He said, look at my house. I have a big house. Look at my car. I have a Mercedes. At the time that he said this to me, I didn't even own a car. I never had a car when I was on the mission field. We used public transportation. And he said, you are stupid. You're wasting your life for an imaginary friend up in the sky. I didn't even know why you believe all that stuff. And I started responding a little bit, and the window just went he rolled up the window and drove away in his fancy Mercedes. And it didn't really bother me right then and there. But I'm going to tell you that Satan has a way of attacking your mind. And late that night, I was laying awake, having a little hard time sleeping, in the darkness, staring into the dark, and this thought came to my mind, do I really believe all this stuff? You would think, what? Brother O? A missionary for many years, guy that's been a Baptist since he was a little kid, certainly he would never doubt. And fortunately, it didn't last more than a minute or two. And I got up and I went to the Psalms and I read some stuff about the gods of the heathen and how they have eyes, but they see not. They have hands, but they handle not. And they have mouths, but they cannot speak. And they got nothing. But our God doeth whatever he pleases. And I got victory. But you know, sometimes Baptists can doubt. And did Jesus say, stinking John the Baptist, he's off my team. I don't keep anybody that ever doubts me. What did he say? He said, John the Baptist is the greatest prophet ever born of women. So sometimes Baptists doubt. He did. And he was a great man. And he died a martyr's death. Well, when I was a teenager, they preached about that a lot. Probably ought to preach about it a little bit more. Preach about the martyrs. And the people who died for the faith. Died rather than give up what they believed and practiced as Baptists. And I was told, probably, in your lifetime... Of course, our enemies back then were the Soviet Russians. They said, probably in your lifetime, I heard so many preachers say this at youth rallies and youth conferences and camps, probably young people in your lifetime, the Soviet Russians are going to take over our country and all of our churches will be closed and all of our preachers will be killed and some Russian soldier will point a gun at your head and say, do you deny Jesus or do you die? And we had to seriously think about that. And, uh, you know, I'm very concerned about the political direction of our country and our culture and our society. And young people need to be trained that being a Baptist and being faithful could result in you dying a martyr's death. We've had a very unusual couple hundred years of freedom in a place called America that is not typical of the rest of the world. There are people today in countries all over the world that are being killed just because of their faith in Christ. So John died a martyr's death, 
And that is the history of John the Baptist. That's an important part of what it meant to be John the Baptist. His principles motivated his actions. So we have no trouble figuring out what he believed, and that's why they called him John the Baptist. All right, now we got to look at Jesus. And the question sometimes comes up, and this is a more important question than you might realize. That's a pretty good picture. I think it was drawn by a Mormon or something, but it's a pretty, it's a pretty good picture. Google Images, yes. Great for slide presentations. Question was Jesus a Baptist? Now, some people would just laugh. Or some people would say, bless God, of course he was. Got baptized by John the Baptist. Wasn't no John Pentecostal. It wasn't no John the Methodist, John Presbyterian. Bless God, John the Baptist, Jesus was a Baptist. I respect that. But the question is kind of backwards. Now, it reminds me one time, Abraham Lincoln reportedly, during the Civil War, was asked, Mr. Lincoln, do you think God is on our side? And Mr. Lincoln said, I'm not really concerned about whether or not God is on our side. And the people just gasped. Oh, how could you say such a thing? You don't care if God is on our side? He said, no, I'm concerned about whether or not we are on God's side. That's a big difference. So the question might not be, was Jesus a Baptist? But are Baptists what Jesus was? Because if we can establish that we believed and practiced, we believe and practice what Jesus believed and practiced, then it would not be such a stretch to say, I think we could identify Jesus as what we would call a Baptist. Now, he did not instruct his followers to call themselves Baptists. It's vitally important to examine his doctrine as it's presented in the Bible and compare it to the doctrine of any group that claims to follow him. I mean, you have the Church of Christ, the very big down south, Church of Christ. You would think, well, if they are the Church of Christ, then they must be the church that Christ approves of. Well, they believe that you have to be baptized if you're going to be saved. Did Jesus teach that? No. no, he didn't. So the Church of Christ is a misnomer. That is not the correct title for that group of people. They can believe what they want, but if they're teaching something that Jesus did not teach, then it's not really right for them to call themselves the Church of Christ. Now, if we find that a church... If some type of church holds to the simple doctrine of Christ in the Bible without the addition of any man-made doctrine, then it is valid for those people to identify themselves with him. Now, I'm going to show you that the only people in the world who can honestly say the Bible is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice, the only people who really can truly say that are people that we would recognize as Baptists. Now, this is what Jesus believed. I mean, by definition, the word of God is what Jesus accepted as the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. What do we believe? Well, 
We look in the Bible to see what we believe. How do we practice? What do we do? Well, we look in the Bible and we do what the Bible says we are to do. And if we do that without any other authority, any other man-made doctrinal source, then that is the very definition of a Baptist. You say, well, what do you people believe as Baptists? I used to love to do this in Russia because um, the accepted cultural religion of Russia was the Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox Church. And people would come to me and say, what's the difference between the Russian Orthodox Church and you Baptists? And I'd say, well, it's very simple. I'll show you. I said, see this Bible right here? I said, if you are a Baptist, you do this. You open it. Baptists are a people of an open Bible. We open the Bible, we look at the pages, and the pages are just covered with words. Lots and lots of words. And we read those words, we believe those words, and we base our actions and practices on what those words say. And there's no other book, no other authoritative leader or figure that is the final word of authority. This is it. And I said, you want to know what an Orthodox church is? I'll show you. It's this. They close the Bible. When they want to know truth, they leave the Bible closed. And they look to other... I an argument one time with an Orthodox priest. Um, we were having some open-air meetings, and Pastor C.W. Fisk was preaching in a park... And I was kind of working around the perimeter, kind of encouraging people to come and listen to what he had to say. And uh, this Orthodox priest came up. I could see him coming. He had his, his outfit on. And, and Orthodox priests are not well-respected members of the community. They are recognized as having the key to heaven and hell. But they are drunkards. They have very low standards of personal hygiene. They stink. You're on the bus next to a, an Orthodox priest. You, you need Vicks Vapor Rub on your upper lip to get past the smell. So this Orthodox priest comes up with this big authority look on his face, and he's like, what do you think you're doing here? I said, well, my friend is preaching the Bible. We are Baptists. And he said, yeah, you Baptists, you got it all wrong. You do things wrong. He said, you don't even have icons, which are religious pictures of the saints that you pray to when you go to church. You don't even have icons to pray to. I said, well, let me show you a Bible verse about that. So I opened it up. I showed him that, you know, you're not supposed to have any images. And he said, well, you, um, you Baptists are all wrong because you don't have candles in your church. You know, a candle flame in many religions is considered to be a vehicle that carries your prayers upward. So you go to church, you light a candle, and whatever prayer you have goes up with the candle flame. You've probably seen pictures of Russian churches. They have onion-shaped domes on the top of their churches. Those are meant to represent candle flames so that the prayers are going up. And so I showed him, you know, that prayer is simply a matter of communicating with God. I showed him some verses about prayer. And, I mean, everything he accused us of, God helped me to find a Bible verse, and I and I kept doing that. And finally, he asked me about something. I started opening my Bible. He said, wait a minute. And he took his hand and literally closed the Bible in my hands. He said, that's the problem with you Baptists. You think 
that you're supposed to open the Bible and read the words. That's not what the Bible is for. He said the Bible is an object of worship that directs your attention to God. I said, well, then why does it have words on every page? If he didn't want us to read the words, he put an awful lot of them in there. So anyway. The Bible is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. That is what it means to be a Baptist. Now, there's a lot of subpoints that go in under that. But if you have anything else other than the Bible as your final authority, then you're not a Baptist. If you've got the Book of Mormon, you're not a Baptist. If you've got the Common Book of Prayer, which a lot of the uh, uh, Protestant churches in Europe have, they have a thing called the Common Book of Common Prayer. And that is part of their doctrinal foundation. They're not Baptists. I'm not even going to say that some of them might not be saved. There may be some saved people that understand that Jesus died for their sins. And if they believe in him and his death, burial, and resurrection for their personal sins and turn to him for the gift of God, which is eternal life, they could be saved and be wrong about doctrine if they're not Baptist. If you have a pope who is an authority outside the Bible, then we reject that. They can do that if they want. Catholics can do that if they want. But we reject that. So the Bible is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. Now, every religious group in the world, now I used to think this was a little bit arrogant to say this. I thought, well, surely there must be somebody out there other than Baptists who, you know, just believe the Bible. But every religious group in the world, except for the Baptists, adds some man-made doctrine to the teaching of the Bible as an authority. Now, there are Bible churches out there, fairly good churches. And most of them, if you look carefully like at their constitutions or even sometimes on their sign, it will say Bible church. And down at the bottom, it'll have Baptistic. I'm like, well, why would you want to be Baptistic when you could just be a Baptist? Used to have a, uh, uh, I was warned about this when I went to be a missionary. Went down to Chattanooga, Tennessee to interview with Baptist International Missions. And I was told they will ask you, are you Baptistic? And if you don't think about it ahead of time, say, well, yeah, I guess so. I'm Baptistic. Yeah, I've been a Baptist all my life. But that's the wrong answer. You're supposed to say, no, I am not Baptistic. I am a Baptist. This is not a Baptistic college. We are Baptists. So, if the people, um, you know, Bible churches, they hold to biblical doctrine, but for some reason they're afraid of the Baptist name. Um, If the people who follow Jesus alone and his word are historically identified as Baptists, then I think it's legitimate for us to identify with him. We are the people in the world that are following what he wanted us to believe. So I think it's legitimate for us to identify with him. So I don't have any problem saying that Jesus was a Baptist. I don't think that's a a point to live and die on, but I can tell you that what Jesus preached and taught is what Baptists preach and teach. So yeah. He didn't call himself a Baptist, but his doctrine is clearly the same as the doctrine of a Baptist, and his doctrine is clearly different from the doctrine of people who are not Baptists. 
So I want to introduce you to some people who have held that doctrine that the Bible is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. I want to introduce you to some of them who have held that doctrine for the last 2,000 years. People in history that we would clearly identify as Baptists were often called different names by their enemies. Again, the word Baptist is something that they gave us. We didn't, we didn't pick that. What about the day when Jesus was around? Okay, this is the day of Pentecost. You've got the apostles here and the tongues of flame coming down. These are clearly the followers of Jesus. These are the direct followers of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was walking around with them, people said, Jesus eats with sinners. So it's legitimate to identify ourselves as sinners. That's what we, that's what our people were called during the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's a legitimate identification. I mean, I don't know if we want to put that on our, uh, on our church sign, but it's in our songbook. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. I identify with that. I don't have any problem saying that's who I am. Not my goal, but <laughs> sometimes uh, Jesus called his followers my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. If we're looking for a name to stick to the followers of Christ, you will find that throughout history, sometimes they were called sinners. Sometimes they were called his sheep. When um, when Jesus started his church, now you're going to find that disagreeing with some other prominent Bible teachers, basically here we don't believe that the church was started on the day of Pentecost. We believe that Jesus started his church during his earthly ministry, I think it's when he started to say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He began to gather a congregation. Congregation is the meaning of the word church. And so I would say that he founded his church when he began to call his disciples to follow him. But clearly on the day of Pentecost, the church was already in existence because the Bible says 3,000 souls were added to the church. How do you add to something that didn't exist before? Anyway. So the disciples on the day of Pentecost are presented in the book of Acts as the legitimate followers of Jesus Christ. And there were different names that were applied to them. Sinners, my sheep. How about Saul who became Paul? He was persecuting them. He called them the people of the way. He got a letter so that he could go to Damascus and persecute anybody who was of this way. So people of the way. That was a name that these people were given the legitimate followers of Christ. Up in Antioch, one of the first big Gentile churches, which, by the way, is probably the best model of a church in the Bible for what we ought to be, the church at Antioch. And they became known as what? They became known as Christians. And that name really stuck, even to the point where in some of the epistles, Paul said he used the word Christian to describe who we are. He said, if, if you suffer 
as a Christian, that's a glorious thing. So Christian, that's a legitimate, uh, that's a legitimate name throughout history for the group of people who followed the doctrine of Christ. Uh, Paul was accused of being a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Yeah, they follow this guy, Jesus. Jesus who came from Nazareth. Jesus who was a Nazarene. So, for a while, our people were at least referred to as the sect of the Nazarenes, identifying us with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, does that mean that the Nazarene church today is the legitimate place where you'll find the doctrine of Jesus Christ? I'll say no, because I know some good... I know some good Nazarenes. I used to work with a Nazarene pastor. He had a part-time job at the uh, work and security at the nuclear plant in Braidwood, Illinois. And he pastored a Nazarene church, and we both worked midnight shift together, and we had long discussions about things of the Bible. And uh, we got to talking about eternal security. He said, well, you can lose your salvation. I said, no, let me show you verses. I'd show him like 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 verses where you can't lose your salvation. He said, well, let me show you this book from a Nazarene scholar. I said, I don't want to see a book of a Nazarene scholar. If you can't show it to me in the Bible, then I'm not going to accept it. They have extra biblical authority upon which they base their faith. So the Nazarenes of today are not the same as Paul's accusation of being a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. All of these people believed in the pure biblical faith of Christ that we Baptists believe today unmixed with the error of false doctrine. Now, that body of truth, all of the things that we believe, as Brother Hallberg told us the other day in chapel, that body of truth that we believe is referred to as the faith. The faith. We are to earnestly contend for or fight for or stand for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. How many times did Jesus give us the faith that we follow? He gave it to us once. Once the Bible was completed, we had it all. Once delivered. So the source of this doctrine is Jesus Christ present that by the cross here and we are to stand for that faith that body of truth it was delivered to the apostles by jesus himself and then the apostles how many things did jesus write down that we have a copy of today Jesus didn't write anything that we have a copy. The only thing I can think of, the only time Jesus wrote anything is when he bent over and wrote something in the sand. And I don't know what he wrote. You don't know what he wrote because it wasn't preserved. But it was delivered to the apostles and Jesus expected the apostles to hand it on down to us. And he expected us to receive it from his chosen apostles. That's why often... Uh, we talk about it as the Apostles' Doctrine. So the Apostles handed it down to us in the New Testament, and it has been passed forward from Christ to today all the way down for 2,000 years. So that faith, that pure, unmixed, biblical, scriptural faith that Jesus gave to the Apostles 
and the apostles gave to us in the New Testament, that has been passed forward to all generations for 2,000 years. Now, Paul told Timothy, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. So there are some people at some times that departed from the faith. The faith is the body of truth that we believe. And some people at different times and different places left the truth. They departed from the faith. So they are now not following the doctrine that Jesus gave us. When someone departs, they go in a different direction. Now, even in the first century, even when the Bible was still being written down, we have noticed that some people were already departing from the truth of Bible doctrine. And that shouldn't surprise us. Jesus and Peter and Paul and John, all of these men warned that there would be false teachers, false prophets, false Christs, false brethren, and false apostles. That should be no surprise to us that there's plenty of people in the world today who do not follow the scriptural faith that Jesus left behind. There are people that don't follow the doctrine that the apostles handed down to us. I weary sometimes when people say, why do there have to be so many different churches? Why can't we all just get together and just all believe the same thing? You know, the only way to do that would be to put a gun to your head. That is called tyranny. That is called a lack of freedom. If someone tells you, we are going to have one church, and we are all going to believe the same thing, that is not a wonderful thing. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all just be together and just all believe the same thing? What if you don't believe the same thing as some other person? One of us is going to have to be forced to believe like the other. So it's a wonderful thing that there are people that don't believe the same. It's a wonderful thing that there are so many choices. Most of them are wrong. But at least if you choose to be a Baptist, you are making that choice based on the fact that you understand that we believe that the Bible is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. Now, Jesus made an interesting comment about false prophets. Jesus said that they were wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, what's underneath the, uh, the sheepskin here? A wolf. A wolf is not a sheep. A sheep will not bite your arm off. A wolf might. You don't want to mess with wolves. But, according to Jesus, there are people spiritually who are wolves, but they want to appear to look like a sheep. What did Jesus call his followers? Call them my sheep. He didn't call them my wolves. So when wolves want to try to bring in false doctrine, they try to make themselves look like true believers of Christ. They put sheep's clothing on. They have a look of a true Christian on the outside, but they don't have salvation on the inside. Now, if your Christianity is only external, 
You are lost as a goose and you'll end up in hell. You might look just right, but God knows you're not saved. False Christians are very concerned about outward appearance. Now, the Bible does say something about our outward appearance, but um, the most important thing is what happens on the inside. And by the way, if the inside's right, the outside's going to be right. Now, let me ask you to think for a minute. When you get saved, it happens on the inside. What's the first thing that a saved person does as an external sign of the internal faith? You get baptized. That is first step of obedience. It is an external symbol that shows what happened on the inside. Now, in the first centuries after Christ, unsaved people who didn't have it on the inside wanted to have it on the outside. So they developed the idea that baptism was all that was needed. They had the external sign without salvation on the inside. Now, this is one of the first doctrines that caused people to depart from the faith, and we call it baptismal regeneration. If you just get baptized, you are saved. It shocked me to find out when I went to Russia all those years ago that I expected to find that everybody was a godless communist atheist, and almost everybody that I talked to said, oh no, I'm a believer. I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. I'm a Christian. Russia is a Christian nation. They told me that. And I'm like, what? Well, when I began to question them about what it meant to be a Christian, it had nothing to do with the Bible definition of a Christian. To them, Christianity is a cultural thing that you're born into as long as you're born in the right country. And they consider that Russia is a Christian nation because a thousand years ago, Prince Vladimir of Kiev noticed that all of the cities in that region worship different gods. Most of them worship some sort of a tree stump. And he said, you know, I think we could have a stronger country that I could be in charge of if we only had one god. So he said... Let me get all my smart guys together, and I'll figure out what kind of religion only has one God. So he said, all right, guys, tell me, is there such a thing as a religion that only has one God that everybody believes? And they said, yes, there's three of them. One of them is called Judaism. One of them is called Christianity, and the other one is called Islam. These are all monotheistic religions, and... Um, he said, well, we probably should adopt one of those. Why don't, why don't I send out three ambassadors? One of you go research the Jews. One of you go research the Christians. One of you go research the Muslims. So they went on. They got on their little boats and paddled down the Dnieper River and were gone for a couple of years. And then they came back. He says, all right, I need your report. Tell me about these religions. Well, the guy that uh, went to study the Jews, he said, well, Jews have a really good religion. They, uh, they have this book that is filled with laws that are really good for society. And Jews are very prosperous. They make a lot of money. And he said, wow, that sounds pretty good. And they said, but everybody hates them. Everywhere you go, you find Jews, and they're prosperous, and they got a lot of money, but everybody hates them. And Prince Vladimir said, well, maybe that's not the best religion to pick. So he said, well, what about the Muslims? Tell me about the Muslims. So the guy that went and studied out the Muslims, he said, well, Muslims are very fierce warriors. 
They said, oh, that sounds good. He said they're powerful and they're, they're like one of the youngest religions. They'd only been around for a couple hundred years at that time. And he said they're spreading all over the place and they're powerful and ruthless and merciless and they kill and they convert by the sword. And he said, wow, that sounds good. He said, and they don't allow any alcohol. And he said, well, that's not for us. <laughs> this is literally written in the Russian Chronicles. He said, well, what about, the, what about Christianity? The guy said, man, I have been to Constantinople. Not Istanbul, Constantinople. I have been to Constantinople, and I have seen the cathedral there. It is amazing. The Christian uh, patriarch comes out, and he has these wonderful garments, and everything's covered with gold and jewels, and they, they have choirs that sing these songs. And it's just like being in another world. It's fantastic. He said, wow, that sounds too good to be true. How do you get into it? And they said, it's super easy. Barely an inconvenience. All you got to do is be dunked under the water and you are in. And he said, okay. So he sent a message down to the patriarch in Constantinople. And he said, I want you to send me about 20 or 30 priests and baptize my people and we'll be a Christian country. And they brought him up there, and to this day, in Kiev, up on, the, on a high cliff overlooking the Dnieper River, they have this huge statue honoring Vladimir the Baptizer, who baptized the Russian people and made them a Christian nation. He brought, called all the people together. He says, all right, see these priests here? These priests are Christians. We're all going to be Christians now. Go down to the river. They're going to dunk you under the water, and you're a Christian. And they're like, what if we don't want to be a Christian? He said, well, I'll cut your head off. Okay, we're in. <laughs> And that is the basis of the Christian faith in Russia. It's not true Christianity. It's not the faith. And, uh, and it's baptismal regeneration. Now, if you think baptism saves, it's a short step from there to say that babies ought to be baptized. I mean, after all, if, you, if back then babies used to die all the time. The infant mortality rate was very high back in the day. And they said, well... If it's that important to be baptized, then we ought to baptize babies because you don't want your babies to go to hell, and it's a big moneymaker because you can charge people to baptize their baby. Have a little ceremony, ka-ching, ka-ching. We got lots of cash coming in. So infant baptism was one of the earliest false doctrines that came in with these uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. And that's uh, very much the same thing that Paul faced throughout his ministry with the Jews. They said that you have to be circumcised if you want to be saved. But he said in Romans chapter 2, he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, but one with, but which is one inwardly. Amen. That was good. Keep an eye out for part three. It is coming soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maverick Messages.